Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 3. Now we're going to study all of Isaiah 58 tonight. But let's begin by reading this particular passage here. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. The very wise and prudent preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes, the person that we know as Solomon, issued a statement that has rung clearly throughout every generation since the fall of mankind. And that statement is, there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. In Ecclesiastes 1 verses 9 through 11, he writes, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. That particular thought there was based upon people living with that uh, thought in mind. That they were under the sun, they weren't really looking to God. It was what you thought of here without a God in your minds. And I bring this, uh, uh, this thought up for this reason. What is so new about people whose worship is only an outward show, who worship because it is the popular thing to do, not because it is the right thing to do, or who worship to put God under pressure to perform for them, rather than to submit to God's holy presence and respond in obedience to Him. That's a pretty heavy thought, isn't it? I think I have to go over that again. What is so new about people whose worship is only an outward show? Who worship because it is the popular thing to do, not because it is the right thing to do. Or who worship to put God under pressure to perform for them, rather than to submit to God's holy presence and respond in obedience to Him. You see, the Lord has been dealing with His people on this particular issue since man began to call on the name of the Lord. You know how far back that is? In Genesis 4.26 it says, and, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's a long time ago, isn't it? The book of Genesis goes back a long ways. And I mention that verse to show how far back this issue goes. Remember that not long after this, there's one man named Noah, a righteous man. And everybody else forgot to call on the name of the Lord. And so what happened? The earth has to be destroyed by the flood. Man forgets. Man begins to look at man rather than look at God and keep his eyes on God and keep his trust in the Lord. So this whole chapter, Isaiah 58, serves as a call for all of God's people to recognize their sin and rebellion, while the next chapter will, chapter will show them that there are those who have received and can exercise the gift of repentance. Now understand that this is a word given to the children of Israel, given to those who will be going into captivity, those who will realize what their sin is because they have gone into captivity, and yet to know that they're going to have the opportunity to repent. And then this idea is going to be carried on beyond the near fulfillment to a further fulfillment. Because all of these chapters from here on point to the glory of God's coming, point to the glory of God's kingdom, and God's people in the glory of God's kingdom. 
So when you think of this gift of repentance, in other words, they need to come to grips with their sin and their rebellion, and then realize that they can come to the Lord in repentance. If you go back just a couple of verses into chapter 57, in verse 19 it says there, and we studied this last time, I created the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. That, that is, that is uh, implying that, that God is giving a gift and an opportunity to repent. Uh, the fruit of the lips. I, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace, peace to him. In other words, peace or rest. What is it that the children of Israel want uh, desperately even to this day? They want rest. They want to know that they've come into God's, into God's land, that God has promised them, and be able to rest there. But they haven't been resting. Because they haven't fully repented of their sin. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, Paul is teaching us here that repentance is a gift. That God gives it so that His people can understand that they can come to Him in faith and repent and turn from their ways. Paul says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps, look at this, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. The word grant there is, is, is one that, that substantiates the thought of a gift. Something that is granted is something that is given. So if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, getting back to our text then. The Lord told Isaiah to shout loudly as with the voice of a trumpet and to declare the sins of the nation. And this was to be done to produce a conviction of sin in the hearts of the people. Cry out, in other words, proclaim, declare, announce with a loud voice the sins of the people to the people. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. Interesting that this this whole chapter is bookmarked, or I should say, bookended—not bookmarked, but bookended—by the the name Jacob. Is Jacob itself, uh, you know, is is Israel, of course, but this was Jacob in his in his worst moment, being the fact that he was, you know, the heel catcher, the the uh, the one who was a, a dirty, stinky thief, you know, and all of that. Uh, the one who stole, you know, his brother Esau's uh, birthright and all of that. And, and we know about the, the heaviness of the sins of, of, of Jacob. So, so it's bookmarked with that. We see the name of Jacob at the end. But the prophet was, was to speak loudly and, and directly on behalf of the Lord to his people who needed to hear their transgression and sin for their hypocrisy had to be revealed. Were they aware and would they even hear what God wanted them to hear? You see, the first thing that the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah was describing their appearance of worship. Their appearance of worship. Look at verse 2. Yet they seek me daily. Now this sounds pretty good here, but you have to admit. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. If we were to separate verse 2 from this whole passage, we would think, you know, that's not too bad. They're seeking God. They're a nation of righteousness. They delight to know His ways. They're asking for the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. I mean, you'd think this is a really good situation here. So their religious practice seemed to be praiseworthy on the surface. You see, that's what we call superficial. It's just on the surface. It appeared that the, the Jewish people loved the Lord and were devoted to Him. It was shown in daily diligence, commitment, devotion, or so it seemed. Is this not the way it is today with some people? 
Many congregations may worship the Lord outwardly, appearing to delight in praising Him and seemingly eager to know His ways, and yet at the same time, they may be conforming to the ways of the world and neglecting the diligent study of God's written Word, which, which points out the problems that they may be having down deep inside. But on the surface, everything seems to sound okay, look okay, even smell okay. But is it okay? You see, their delight was in approaching God in ritualistic worship. In ritualistic worship. Uh, go back, if you will, to Isaiah 29 and verse 13. And this was a passage that Jesus quoted from in dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. In Isaiah 29 verse 13 it says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. So it's not something that is down deep in their hearts to be worshiping the Lord, to be delighting in the Lord and in the Lord's ways. It's all superficial. They draw near with their mouths. And they honor me with their lips. And there's some, some sense of understanding that this is saying they can come here and just blow away loudly with their, with, with their lips and their mouths. But their hearts aren't even with them. Their hearts are far from them. Back in Mark, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 5 through 9, I mentioned that Jesus had used this passage. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do you disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? You know, earlier on, they're talking about all of these vessels that they have to wash and clean and, 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 and whatnot. And Jesus answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Notice the difference. There's the commandment of God and there's the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. All too well, he says, you reject the word of God, the commandment of God, the statutes of God, the law of God. But you keep your tradition, the tradition of men. So when you read the next verse in our text, they are found complaining that God would not help them or hear them, feeling that the Lord was being unfair to them. Look at verse 3 of Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls? That's dealing with fasting itself as well. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, and this, and this little section here, think about this. In fact, and this is the focus. This is God speaking to them. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. So let's put it this way. The revealing word of God comes to a very religious people, but finds no satisfaction in their religion. But somehow God is not responding to them. The religion which is exposed rests not on, on a, a view of Yahweh God or Jehovah God and his principles of worship. They rest upon Canaanite principles. In other words, they rest upon the worship of idols. You see, the essence of Canaanite religion was to put their gods under pressure to perform their functions. In other words, the Canaanites would have orgiastic rituals performed to stimulate Baal to acts of fertility. That was the whole thing. They did what they did to appease God. They, their gods, they did what they did to have the gods perform. So they, they, they were, in essence, putting the, their gods under pressure to perform. Not unlike, a, you know, some people today that, you know, want to deal with God. <laughs> or want to say, Lord, you know, if you don't do this, this, and this, and this, you know. Or if I do this, this, and this, and this, you should be doing this, and this, and that. That's the way some people are today. 
There's doctrines behind that. But the Jews' motives, you see, getting back here to Isaiah 58, the Jews' motives were to pressure the Lord into response, as the Canaanites did, acting as if they were a nation that did what was right. Lord, you're not hearing us. Look at what we're doing. We're doing all this stuff. Why aren't you hearing us? Why aren't you meeting our needs? Why aren't you answering our prayers? But all of their piety, their devotedness uh, attracted no divine attention. What they missed was the essence of the Israelite religion. And that essence was response. Not doing things to influence the Lord, but doing them to obey Him. Big difference. Not doing things to influence the Lord, but doing things to obey Him. Not works looking for reward, but faith acting in obedience. Consider the statement at the end of verse 3. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. God is now exposing how shallow their religion truly was. Let's forget the appearance. Let's get to the reality. That's what God's saying. Let, let's, let's put aside the appearance here. Let's get to what's really the heart of the matter. The reality was that the people didn't fast with the right heart. Doing it only as an empty ritual. Like many people today, they had confused rituals with relationship and outward acts with true obedience. In other words, their fast didn't alter or change their poor relationships with others. <laughs> and yet it should have. You see, they were disregarding other people's needs by exploiting their employees. He says, in the, in, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 24. And I want you to look at verses 14 and 15 because here is a commandment of the Lord. Here is the law of God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it. Lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. You shall not oppress a hired servant. Don't you think that's pretty clear? But they had forgotten the Lord, and they had forgotten God's word. So now they're going through these fasts, and they're going you know, through these uh, certain rituals, but they're not considering the ways that God wants them to be with other people. Think of James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will lead your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. That's going back. I mean, this is in Jesus' time. I mean, this is, uh, of course, in the, uh, the, the time of the church. But it, it goes all the way, you know, it's, it's pointing all the way back to that particular law. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. I think that that's pretty clear. That that attitude carried on from the time of Isaiah to the time of Jesus and the time of the apostles. And so by going through the motions of religion, they thought they were going to be blessed. So they thought God's hearing us. Look what we're doing, Lord. Look, we're keeping a fast. But in the, on the side they're going, you know, beating up their, you know, their servants or wanting God to do things that uh, is not lawful. And he won't do that, of course, because God won't break his own law. So in verse 4 of Isaiah 58, it says, Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. It's not an interesting statement. You fast for strife and debate. And to strike with a fist of wickedness. Well, that might be religious on the outside, but on the inside, wickedness is evil, isn't it? 
You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down with his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? He's pointing to them and saying, is this what you call a fast? Do you think this is my fast? Do you think this is what I commanded and this is what I wanted of a fast from you? Do you think I'm accepting this kind of fast? I mean, they certainly fasted for needs, but they were selfish needs. You see, when it says that they they fasted for strife and debate, you have to understand the selfish needs that they had. This is how they prayed. Lord, help me win this argument. Lord, help me defeat this person. And so God says, no more. No more. You won't fast any longer to glorify yourselves as you do this day. No more. The fast that the Lord rebukes is an empty, hollow show without any spiritual substance behind it. That isn't God's chosen fast. Even if they do all the right things in fasting, bowing down the head, spreading out like sackcloth and ashes, but that still isn't a fast to the Lord. You see, their hearts, not, their, not just their heads, their hearts needed to bow before God. Their hearts weren't bowing. Their heads might have been bowing, but they were empty heads because their hearts were empty. You see how serious this is even today. Because this can happen in the church. I want you to think of this parable that Jesus spoke in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the heart of a person? To consider themselves righteous and yet to despise others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. I have always been fascinated by that statement. Jesus had such a way with words. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Well, God's not going to hear him. So he's praying with himself. God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. (laughs) I fast twice a week. Notice, notice that, based on what we're looking at tonight. I fast twice a week, Lord. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector... Standing afar off. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And and literally it says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. As if there were no other sinners. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus goes on and he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, please understand that God is not down on fasting. He's down on any worthless, empty religious ritual. That's what he's down on. Not on fasting. The answer isn't to stop fasting. The answer is to get right with God and to make your fasting more than superficial if you're going to do that. You see, I say that because we're not commanded to fast, but we are given the opportunity to fast if we need to or if we want to. 
But think again of something that Jesus himself said to the scribes and Pharisees when he is pointing out their hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And here is the weightier matters. Not all the little ritualistic things. The weightier matters are law, I'm sorry, are justice and mercy and faith. Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, including fasting, without leaving the others undone. These are the weightier matters. You see, the fast chosen by God is one that is accompanied by love for Him and genuine concern for those who are oppressed. I hope that tonight we begin to understand what what God's chosen fast is. And, and, and realize that the strength of what God is saying to us in that when you look at fasting and the Sabbath, as we will in just a little bit, you realize that these things are things to be done in the joy of the Lord. They're to be done with a, with a heart that is full of love toward God. And because of that, it is a heart to do what God wants us to do for those who have nothing. Why do we fast? We give up so we can give to others. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes we don't understand that that's what this, that's what this fast is saying to some extent. Listen to what he says in verse 6. This is the, uh, the prophet, uh, it's the Lord speaking to the prophet. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. Or the wanderer as it were. When you see the naked. That you cover him. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. True fasting you see will lead to humility before God. And ministry to others. True fasting will lead to humility before God and ministry to others. It was worth repeating that statement. I think I'll say it again. True fasting will lead to humility before God and ministry to others. You see, we deprive ourselves, in other words, so that we might share with others and do so to the glory of God. When you think about it, we're not depriving ourselves of anything. When you think of how much God has given us. You know, for some people, it, it means this. If you want to fast to please me, and, and this is the Lord speaking, if you, want to, if you want to fast to please me, then begin by getting right with your brothers and sisters. Stop oppressing others and reach out to help others in need. If you want to fast to please me, then get right with others. They needed to stop acting wickedly toward others and start acting lovingly toward others. There's there's a, a jolt that has to take place in the heart when we realize that what God wants is not just an outward show What God wants is the whole heart of a person. The whole heart. That's why we are called to be wholehearted toward God, not half-hearted. I mean, those are terms that we can understand, you know, in a very colloquial sense. But listen, we're either wholehearted for God or we're half-hearted. And if we're half-hearted, we're not hearted at all toward God. In the Old Testament, only one fast was commanded. Think about this. Only one fast was commanded. The annual day of atonement. Turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And you'll see this in verses 29 through 31. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. 
For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. That phrase is, by the way, the affliction of the soul is tied together, as you've already seen it, with fasting. So there is a fast to be done on the Day of Atonement. It is a statute forever. So that was the only fast commanded of the Lord to the people. The Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. Fast days were instituted only after the fall of Jerusalem. In other words, there were other fast days given. But this was after the fall of Jerusalem. I'm talking about the fall of Jerusalem, uh, you know, uh, through the, by the Babylonians, you know. You know. Well, we, we know this because of Zechariah 7, verse 5. It says, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? Did you really fast for me? God's asking the question. And these were the other fasts that they instituted. For example, in Zechariah 8, again, verses 18 and 19, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of the Judah. For the house of Judah, therefore, love truth and peace. And here there's given an indication of, of, of the nature of the fast and, 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 and really the nature of, of, of what is the heart to be doing at that fast time. It was to be joy and gladness, cheerful feasts. What is it that Jesus said when you go to fast? You know, what, don't be like those who go out into the streets, you know, the wearing sackcloth and the looking sad. What are you doing? I'm fasting before the Lord. You look pretty sick, dude. You ought to eat something. You know? But, but, you know, that was the whole idea. You know, they wanted to look like they were fasting, but, you know, really the heart was far from God. So Jesus said, if you're going to fast, wash up. Clean up. You know, put on brute and, you know, or whatever, you know, Chanel number five or whatever. Well, the guys don't put that one up, but, you know. You know, but, but, you know, don't look like you're fasting because you're not doing it unto men, you're doing it unto God. It's the heart again, you see. And so there's to, be, there's to be joy and gladness, and you know, for the house. You know, the focus is on truth and on peace. They were having fasts and all. They have fasts today still. Christians will want to have fasts for... You know, wanting to seek the face of the Lord, wanting to seek the knowledge of the Lord, wanting to seek something, you know, seek clarity for one thing or another. You're going to fast. Understand what, what you're doing. This is a, a very clear passage here, what we just read, about what the fast is about. But what follows are the blessings that God promises for the true worshiper. What was the, pro- what was the problem before? They were saying, Lord, how come you're not hearing us? Look at what we're doing. But you see, God does have blessings. For those who fast properly. Look at Isaiah 58 verses 8 through 12. He says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. (laughs) If you take away the yoke from your midst... The pointing of the finger. You know, it's interesting. I was doing a little study of this, about this pointing of the finger. And it's interesting, but they were doing things with fingers that people do today. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, I mean, there were, it's, it was an ac- accusatory thing. It was, accu- you know, accusation time. But, but, I mean, that's how it was, you know. It was the... Casting of the fingers. You know, I'm trying to be nice. But anyway, so you understand. I guess I, you know, I'm not talking to people who don't know what's going on. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, I mean, they're all bad things. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. 
You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Picture this. It's not just the near fulfillment. It is also pointing to the messianic kingdom. What is going to be built. What is going to be established in the day that the Lord returns with his people. So if God's people would combine their fasting with lives of righteousness and love, then they would see their prayers answered. That's the point. Their lives would be full of light, full of healing, full of righteousness, and full of God's glory. When they call out for God, then the Lord would answer. Or when they called out to God, then the Lord would answer. And a person wouldn't have to hide from Him, as some people do even today. And then in verse 9, the Lord would give the people three things to stop doing. There in verse 9. They were to stop oppressing others, treating them like animals bound with a yoke. They were to stop pointing the finger at others. Uh, Let's move on. And they were to stop speaking wickedness. Those were the three things they were to stop doing. Now, we would call these sins, sins of commission. Things that you commit. Sins of commission. Sins that are done against the Lord and against others. In verse 10, the Lord gives them two things to start doing. They needed to minister to the hungry with more than food. Because they were to seek the afflicted soul. That's the next thing. They had to extend their souls to the hungry. That's the first thing. Ministry to the hungry and not just with food. And then secondly, they had to look for the afflicted soul and seek to satisfy it. Look for the afflicted soul and seek to satisfy it. Failure to do these are called sins of omission. Sins that they have omitted to do. So there are sins of commission. Things that you do, you know, uh, place undue burdens on people, pointing fingers at others, in other words, accusing them, uh, uh, spreading and speaking wickedness. Those are sins of commission. You're committing sins against the Lord and others. And then there are things to start doing, which is minister to the hungry and look for the afflicted soul. But if you don't do these things, then that's sins of omission. Things we should have done but didn't. So to the one who repents of either sins of commission or sins of omission, there is blessed promises. There is blessing promised to them. And one of the beautiful blessings given here is that their light would, uh, will dawn in the darkness. Your light shall dawn in the darkness. It will rise. I, I think of the dawn. If any of you are up in, early enough and want to, Go out when the sun's rising <laughs> and just wait for it to rise. And just darkness all of a sudden begins to dissipate and it goes away. And before you know it, you begin to see things clearly. You begin to see the trees. You begin to see the tops of the houses. You begin to see the mountains and the glory of a brand new day. But think of this in light of your life. Your light shall dawn in the darkness. We live in the darkness, folks. The darkness of this world, but we are to be the light of the world. And I want more light. I know you want more light. Not to say that you haven't gotten all the light in knowing Jesus Christ. But we, you know, we're, we're the ones who need to say, Okay, Lord, I want more light to shine. Therefore, I need my life to be right. Right with you. And then it says, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Whatever darkness we had, it's, it's, it's gone. Because what is the noonday? The noonday is the sun at, the, at its highest, shining down, making sure that there's no darkness whatsoever. That's the blessing of God for those who want to be right with God in this very issue. You see in Psalm 112, verse 4, it says, unto the upright... There arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Unto the upright. In Psalm 97 verse 11, it says, Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. 
You see, light and gladness, light and joy, as we are in the light of the Lord, we are to realize that that joy and that gladness is going to come forth. We're not bound by the legalism of, uh, of today that says, you know, if you don't do this, don't do that. You know, back in the, I think it was the late 60s, early 70s, what was the song? You know, uh, uh, sign, sign, everywhere signs. You know, do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? You know, Jesus, there was one, only one sign that mattered. It was a sign that was on the cross that says, this is the king of the Jews, and that was the truth. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Not to do whatever we wanted to do, but to do everything that honored him, to give him glory and honor. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Let's go back to verse 11 of chapter 58, verses 11 and 12. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. By the way, when, when you water a garden that's you know, just in the, in, the, in the midst of summer, and you're watering that garden in the early morning hours, isn't the, 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 the fragrance just a beautiful thing? Remember that for, in just a moment. And it says, And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Whatever had been broken and breached, now it's going to be repaired. Everything is going to be built. The streets will be like you know, paths to walk on once again. And so a life that is lived right with God shows all of these characteristics. An enlightened life, notice the list. That, that was from verse 10. The, the Lord will guide you. So it's, it's an enlightened life. It is a guided life. It is a satisfied life. Uh, satisfy your, your soul in drought, God will do. It is a strengthened life. Strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. It is a fragrant life. A fragrant life. We are to have the fragrance of Christ in our lives. It is to be a freshly sustained life, a water that will never fail, water, uh, the, the sustenance of water never failing. It is to be a productive healing life, a productive healing life. This is, these are the characteristics of one who is right with the Lord in these things. And all of this is given for his chosen fast. But then there's also the issue of the Sabbath. Look at verses 13 and 14. We close with this. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, which, by the way, I want you to get the picture. Turning away your foot from the Sabbath only means that the Sabbath is holy ground. And you're turning your foot, your, your, your dirty, stinky foot, <laughs> away from the Sabbath. In other words, you recognize it as holy. Okay, so you got the picture. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. What is the heritage of Jacob, your father? It is the fact that God will, will fulfill completely the covenant that he made with his people. He will feed you. What, what was the covenant? You will be in a land flowing with milk and honey. You feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken, which says, when I tell you something, it's going to happen. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Isaiah's time, the Sabbath was just another empty religious observance for the Jewish people. But the Lord is calling them to take a delight in their heart and purpose of the Sabbath. To take a delight in the heart and purpose of the Sabbath, which is to honor Him, not doing your own ways. As believers in the finished work of Jesus Christ today, when do we keep the Sabbath? You know, a lot of people ask that question. You know, are we supposed to keep the Sabbath? Well, let me just put it this way, very simply. 
It is when we set aside every day to honor Him. It is when we set aside every day to honor Him. How many of you are just Christians once a week? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Unless you really are, then don't be a liar. But think about the question. How many of you are Christians once a week? Twice a week? Three times a week? You see, are we to be believers and followers of Christ every day? Are we to honor Him every day? Now we do take a day aside in our busy week to gather in praise and worship unto the Lord, to be the body of Christ in one accord, in one place, to honor the Lord. We oftentimes call that our Sabbath, you know, but it's not the Sabbath. Sabbath is always Saturday because that's what the Sabbath is. It's our day of rest, and God wants us to take that day of rest, certainly, and rest is good. But we have come to a a rest that is even greater than that. What is that rest? It is eternal rest, knowing that we have been saved for eternity through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful rest to have. That's a wonderful peace to have. So we, we set aside every day to honor the Lord. And, not, and, not, and by not doing our own ways as a means of justifying ourselves. <clears throat> are, are we as Christians required to keep the Sabbath? Let me just answer that very quickly with these scriptures. Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Don't let anybody judge you. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. What is the shadow of things to come for us with the Sabbath? The fact that we will have rest for eternity in the presence of the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Every day we serve God. Every day we worship the Lord. But now listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. But what brought us to all of this in the first place? Disobedience. What brought us to this very topic? The sin and rebellion that Isaiah was commanded by God to declare to them so that they would come to understand the fast and the Sabbath as being days where they are holy unto God and then following after the law as God would want them to follow it. Because when we keep the meaning of the Sabbath, not just an empty religious ritual, then we will delight ourselves in the Lord. They hadn't been delighted. They were delighted in the things that they did when they were beating up people and oppressing people and fighting with people. But we will delight not only in the blessings, but in the Lord himself. And that's the whole key. We are already delighting in the Lord himself because he is our rest. We know it is a sure thing because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So it is interesting that these two rituals practiced in Isaiah's day as well as today, fasting and Sabbath keeping, involved not doing things. They involved not doing things. In fasting, you don't eat. In Sabbath keeping, you don't work. This chapter simply showed us that what we don't do isn't enough to make us right before God. That's the simple lesson here. Our walk with God shouldn't only be defined by what we don't do. You get it? Our walk with God shouldn't only be defined by what we don't do. Don't do that. 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 I go all night night long doing that. Don't do that. Okay, I won't. But let's, let's let the Word then speak. 
Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. What should we do? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do that. Amen? Isn't that a good thing to say amen to? You shall love the Lord your God. That's a do. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the people of your pe- uh, the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You should do that. Amen. That's a good thing to say amen to. We should love our neighbor as, as ourselves. Micah 6 eight. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? To love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Amen? That's a good thing to say amen to, isn't it? Why? Because we're doing something that honors God. We're doing things. It's not a matter of what we don't do. Don't eat. Don't work. But do. Do love. Do honor. Do worship. Do give justly. Do just things. Do merciful things. Do these things because when you think about it, that's the heart of the Lord that we serve. He came doing to show us how to do, what to do, when to do. And so enter into that rest. Have we we crossed over the Jordan of our lives? Did we place remembrance stones to say that is where Jesus was baptized to show us something, to show us that He came to die for us so that we might live forever? Have we crossed the Jordan? Are we now in the rest of Christ? Well, there's a rest to come, isn't there? where that will gain its great fruition, which means that we will live forever outside of these stinky old bodies. I say that because, you know, flesh rots. (laughs) And we're tired and they ache and they hurt. And they get old. But, you know, one day we'll live forever in a body that God has already prepared for us. And then we can understand this fully. But until then, that's what we have to look forward to. How do we look forward to it? With joy and gladness. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's no strength in moping. There's only strength in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's pray.